Good afternoon, everyone. It is episode 506, 556 of Office Hours, and we've averaged three and a half guests every single episode. So that's a lot of fantastic people. And I'll tell you, as I scurried back here to make sure that I make this episode, I was thinking to myself, who is going to come on the night before Thanksgiving? Uh, it must be people that live in Hawaii or something, but nope. Right out of Chicago, we got our first guest. Hiral is here. Uh, Hiral, sorry. Chandra, CEO of Masta Group, and he can repronounce his name because it's a Thanksgiving and forgiving day. Mastec.com. Welcome to Office Hours. How are you, Hiral? Doing well, David. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, happy Thanksgiving in advance. Yeah, my name is pronounced Hiral. Um, you know, so oh. appreciate it. How about the last name? Give, it, give us that. Uh, uh, Chandrana. Chindrana. So Chindrana. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we are excited to have you here. Uh, first of all, thank you for joining us so close to Thanksgiving. Really appreciate you taking the time to pour into our community. Um, and you at Mastec have had a recent acquisition that we wanted to ask about. And it's Biz Analytica. Um, That's right. And there's so much around analytics and data today. And obviously with generative AI being a greater way of synthesizing that data. All data takes on a more valuable role or participant as a servant in our daily lives. Uh, what were some of the criteria that you were looking at of why you wanted to acquire a biz analytic company? No, sure, David, and, and you, I think, uh, set a good foundation for the question. Um, you know, Mastec has always been um, about creating, you know, building, running new solutions and systems that uh, power critical infrastructure, critical supply chains, you know, transforming business models. And so as you look at, um, you know, the, the data continuum, as I like to call it, right, because it's really starting from the data foundation, you know, moving to the cloud, modernizing your data landscape, all the way to enabling analytics and generative AI, like you said, um, we started seeing as we were engaging more with our clients that uh, this is the one piece that they continue to see a, a massive need going you know three years five years down the road right and then you know what happened in the last six to 12 months with generative ai um, so there's a you know amplification effect if you will where the plumbing right uh, the, the plumbing that's needed to drive generative ai or drive some of the use cases and and things everyone's talking about, whether it's vertical, industry, et cetera, is really going to be the, the data engineering plumbing, right? And the infrastructure that's going to drive. That's why you're seeing companies like even NVIDIA, AMD, et cetera, getting to the forefront, because it's really the plumbing that will drive generative AI. So that's really the, the context. But with, you know, with that, uh, Biz Analytica you know, comes with some expert um, in Snowflake, Databricks, AWS Cloud. Uh, it comes with some specializations in financial services and healthcare industries we love. Um, Boston-based company, globally spread. Um, so all in all, you know, uh, it, it was a great package. Uh, so you were at WinPro for 14 years, correct? I was in Wipro for 14 years. Yeah, that's right, Mike. Yeah, that's fantastic. And a lot of people don't understand, like, you stuck there for 14 years to master those skills and then, you know, make the transition. It takes a lot of patience. Can you just talk about that? Because a lot of entrepreneurs and people just think that you're going to rush to become a CEO. They don't. They don't work. They don't master what you mastered to then take that to the next level. Everyone's in a hurry. 
So could you talk about that? Because it's really important for people to understand what you learned in 14 years. No, absolutely, Mike. So, um, I, you know, I played multiple roles um, in, in those 14 years and, and, you know, was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to um, uh, step up in, in various shoes, many outside of my comfort zone and many by design, um, you know, picking up those challenges, right, right from uh, geography, leading certain geographies like Americas to global roles where I handled businesses like consumer, retail, healthcare, uh, to essentially one of my last roles was handling all the digital cloud applications business, right? So that was about one third of uh, Wipro's business. So that was close to about 3 billion business. It was a large business. But what I learned in, in those various kind of journeys is, is uh, as soon as you sort of uh, are in your comfort zone, that's, that's when you really need to change. And, and, and otherwise you'll stop innovating, right? Um, that, that's one. But, but more importantly, um, you're sort of building on the previous learnings, right? There's going to be some successes, some failures. Most important thing is how you're adapting to the changing market, the changing customer. Um, and and um, the last role in particular got me exposed to a, a lot of uh, venture capital and, and private equity, where one of my roles was actually to make acquisitions and to invest in new startups. Uh, so that was, you know, by far one of the more interesting uh, experiences, right? Because you're seeing smaller companies, right? Maybe one hundredth of your size or one tenth of your size, uh, innovating much more than you, to be frank, right? And and really sort of driving the next wave of of disruption. Um, so that was kind of a, a, a rejuvenating exercise to sort of watch young entrepreneurs and as as well as you know some really cool and smart people, um, you know making waves right uh, for the for the future and and so just keeping you know keeping that adaptability in mind and and stretching yourself outside of your comfort zone um you know uh, never giving up because sometimes you're the underdog in in some of these places and then really learning from um people much younger than you or, or people who are starting off their career in some cases i love that what, one of the things that you being a CEO of a company the size, you have 6,000 employees in over 40 countries. Being the CEO means obviously you oversee all of those things, but how do you lead the people directly under you to give them the tools to lead 6,000 in a time where most people are terrified of losing their job to AI? And it's like, well, I don't think that's true being in this AI tech world that you So how do you give people the tools who are directly under you to empower their teams to lead that many people? Because that's an unbelievable number. Yeah, no, no, that that's um, uh, that's a uh, you know, really important point, right? Because in the end, uh, in, in a business like ours, right? I mean, we, we talk about obviously solutions, we talk about tools, uh, but it's it's in in the end, it's the people, right? It's the people that make it happen. It's the people in front of the customer. It's the people who are doing the job day in and day out. Um, so, you know, we, we talk about, at Mastic, we talk about this culture called Mastic 4.0, right? And and um, what, what that is, is, is really about autonomy and empowerment at, at the heart of it. Um, but it is also about, uh, taking accountability, right? Uh, so, you know, empowerment comes with accountability. Um, so that sort of combination mantra, if you will, is, is really, um, you know, the underlying theme. But what we did about uh, 18 months or so back is uh, if you look at Mastex logo and our tagline, you'll see three words. You'll see uh, trust, value, and velocity, right? And uh, we, we really sort of thought about this very deeply, you know, spoke to our partners, spoke to our customers, spoke to our employees, we call them masticators. 
and 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 really sort of you know in essence these three words is is think of it as ways of working or operating model for us right uh, it not just applies to the teams or my direct leadership it applies to all stakeholders um and and that's kind of the underlying um you know basis for making decisions um you know for for um, you know investing if you will in some cases um so so you know when when you're confused or when you're sort of um you know not sure we go back to the trust value velocity right we know we need, it's not about just even adding business value to your clients but it's about business value uh, to your partners it could be career value career path uh, fast tracking to your employees right um but trust and transparency is still the foundation of it and in today's world as all of you know and many of you have been in tech um you know you you the speed of decision making and the velocity is critical right so it's not just speed it's in the right direction um and so that we sort of emphasize or overemphasize actually uh the velocity part uh Kiral, you know so interesting about the M&A world and it has been for the last 30 years uh playing around in silicon valley is that there's this marriage between the technology and the people and uh how the technology applies to people but also how the people who are utilizing and engineering and architecting the technology are going to create further enhancement of the people and the people's lives and the value to the people and what i think about this uh, acquisition that you've made it's really people-centric and uh the capabilities uh that allow you um you know to bolster of course your global your global data services and the capabilities of generative ai but it really grants you a lot of access to a talented pool of data architects and scientists that can enhance your overall business and when you have a three you know multi-billion dollar business with six thousand employees serving uh so many clients it's always to me comes back to the people um as you have now tried to transition in this uh acquisition uh what's the biggest challenge to aggregate the people together and the cultures together yeah yeah no and and you know uh this is a, a kind of a um uh, pet peeve if you will or or kind of a uh, close topic to my heart not just with the recent acquisition because i've been involved in a few other acquisitions in my previous life and and uh, it finally did boil down to right uh, the, the people the culture uh, you know the the uh, integrating you know some of the the best of breed if you will right um so i'll give you an example of one of the other acquisitions that we made last year actually you know within my same role in mastic it was actually a a phoenix kind of channel based company in arizona uh, again globally spread um and and they um had an interesting and a very simple philosophy of 3 Cs right um it was a culture of service and the 3 Cs are you know clients colleagues colleagues are like your employees and and communities right communities because you're doing more than just you know serving your customers you're serving your communities right so um something so sort of simple but so deep right uh you know we wanted to take something like that and 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 really kind of integrate that you know within our broader global culture right because you know it, it makes sense that it, it it applies to um everything that we do so those are some examples right of of how you can um you know take what's worked for others and then in some cases um you know morph that right into a a broader uh, theme or culture and and uh, sometimes it's those little things right um which which uh, sometimes become irritants and 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 kind of um you know uh, impact the employee experience if you will so it's it's you know everything from 
uh, the spectrum of strategic you know direction and vision and and investments all the way from to smaller things you know, about um, and and a lot of them again boil down david like you said to people it's so wonderful it does boil down to people but it also when people can articulate things in a simple way uh, it shows me awareness and understanding of what they're articulating. And sometimes it's those simple things like, hey, let's all make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun uh, that really resonate. And it's amazing how many years of uh, dummy tax I had to pay to come up with a simple mission of creating abundance in that manner. You're doing the same thing at Mastec. Been a great leader for decades and now leading a ship, a huge glacial sized ship at Mastec in acquiring those people and technologies necessary to providing value around the world. Please come back and join us. Thank you so much uh, for squeezing us in before Thanksgiving. We look forward to having you come back. Thanks for all for joining us. Appreciate it, David. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you. Absolutely. Much gratitude. Thank you. Oh, along the theme of gratitude, got him off to his uh, Thanksgiving family on uh, the Midwest. Now we'll move over to Salt Lake City, a little bit closer to our time zone. Hopefully Ryan's uh, technology, oh, I think he dropped. Yeah, Luke was saying no. Uh, that's okay. I got plenty to talk to you, to my boys. Uh, let's get right to uh, Thanksgiving then. Michael, I'm broken. You are out of the country. Uh, is there any semblance of... of uh, American Thanksgiving, uh, where you're at, or is this another day? That's not a thing here. Um, <laughs> minus, minus the, the minus the expats who want to make it a thing. I'll be celebrating my anti-Thanksgiving uh, here in Buenos Aires with a, a beautiful uh, steak tomorrow night. Um, so we'll see how that goes. That's beautiful. And Mike, I have to tell you, I'm having uh, uh, a little bit of anxiety. Um, and over Thanksgiving, it's the first time that my entire family's back together, and there's been so many different changes of you know life loss and assisted livings and you know different uh, life circumstances, and it's really interesting because like you and Michael and Broken, we help so many people, and sometimes something lays down on you, and we talk about these snapshots. I know you and I, uh, all three of us, were pretty effed up. It's one point in our lives and closest witnesses to our effed upness was our family. And I don't yeah. know why uh, I'm afraid of the past and the judgments and conditions of who I know I am today and who I want them to think I am today compared to who they think I am. Um, you're an expert in intervention. You probably deal with this problem a, a lot when people are addicts. Give me some advice. Thanksgiving, as I venture down to San Diego tomorrow to deal with that, I am, I want them to think I am, and this is what they actually think I am. Well, this is a real simple one for you. You've improved so much, and you improve people's lives so much, you have nothing to prove anymore. Hmm. But I feel I do, right? We, we all do. But, but that's actually not a bad thing. Because that keeps you humble, right? So you have humility now because you're running on your ego, right? But you, you, you've got God back, right? So you were edging out your greatness and edging out God, right? And now you don't. And you improve so many people's lives. So now, even though you're triggered, because it is, it's a little, it's like, oh, they're, they're going to, it's triggering. It's triggering. Yeah. 
But I can, you quote, I can quote you that's exactly how I feel. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's unsettling, right? And you're in that water. But here's the greatest thing about you, right? And I always tell this to addicts. It's like we've all been seasick. And we, when we've all been, you've been seasick on a boat, right? We never actually jump off the boat. We know it's going to pass, but it's really hard when you're on the boat. So you're going to be on the boat a little seasick. And, and you yeah. go up and you go down, right? But, you, but I always go back to you've improved so many people's lives. You have nothing to prove anymore and you've improved so much. So you just have to be there and either they're going to see it or not. But like you just do so much magic to people. So it's like uh, it's going to be unsettling. You're on the boat. It's a little rocky, but you're going to weather that storm. I love it. Well, we have our next guest waiting in the wings. And I really appreciate that. I, I, I just find it fascinating with growth in conversations and research and people that I help and my own, my own personal development and journey that I would feel like I do a little bit seasick today. Uh, and I'm, I'm just hoping uh, that I don't carry any of that to be triggered. Can I say something? I think that's because you do the work now. See, when you don't do the work, you don't feel it because you've got a big ego. When you do do the work, you have the humility to feel the uncertainty and security. Like, I hope I really am this person, but you are, right? And I think that's what keeps us balanced now. You're supposed to feel that. Dave Melser feels it because yeah. you're a spiritual being having a human experience and it's up and down. I think that's magical that you feel it because if you didn't feel it, you're like, I got this, I'm Dave Melser. And then what happens is right. you bully over everyone, right? And you're not the Dave Melser that's more interesting right? Interested than interesting. So it's, it's funny because we're going to let uh, Thais come, come on in a sec, but I, I got to just tell you, there's one thing that came to mind I, when, when all that stuff went down with Will Smith, at the, his biggest moment in his life, winning the Oscar for King Richard, which <laughs> uh, you, you guys have all met Rick Macy, <laughs> you, you know, right. And right. I, but Denzel Washington had a quote that I thought was so interesting. He said something like, in our biggest moments, that's when the devil loves to, to, to appear. Yeah, you're right. That's true. So, but here's, I, I here's the best thing. thing. You checked in with us, right? And he didn't check in with anyone knowing he could be triggered. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I love the fact that I know this is a big moment for me because everyone's together and it, it meet my mom's 80 years old. It, it just means a lot to me today. And I'm well aware that regardless of the work that I do, uh, just like an addict, you know, the de <laughs> devil, the demon's there, right? And, and I just want to be aware. Because uh, the last thing I want to do is go home, go home like I'm, you know, 35 years old again and going, where did that guy come from? Like, why, yeah. why did you respond? What, you know, wh wh where's what you learn? And, uh, and I'm bringing it up because I'm working with my friends like you that I respect. So anyway, Thais is here and, uh, and she's someone too that maybe can help us with this founder, counselor, coach at the personal development school. And she is very Thanksgiving like we are based in Montreal though. So her Thanksgiving was a while back. Um, and we want to talk about not only the school, her upcoming book, Learning Love. Build the best relationship of your life. Integrated attachment theory coming out the day before my brother's birthday, December twelfth. Welcome to Office Hours. Thanks for joining us, Thais. 
Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. And nice to see, I was actually, I connected with Michael on a podcast a couple of years ago. So nice to see you as well. Nice to see you again, my friend. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, he's amazing. So let's, let's talk and get right into it. I want to know about the integrated attachment theory. <laughs> what What is it and how's it going to help me? <laughs> okay, so I'll give you the, it might be a, a fairly long rundown, but excited to share. So basically there's a time. <laughs> There's a body of work called attachment theory that was originally developed by John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth back about 50 years ago. And it talked about how basically when we are children, we learn specific rules for what it means to attach to people. And these rules essentially become our subconscious set of beliefs about how our needs should be met, what we should expect, all these sorts of things. Every single person has an attachment style. There are four main attachment styles. One thing that I found, and I'll disclose the different four attachment styles, but one thing I found is there was this whole body of work that was developed talking about how our attachment style forms, how it influences our adult romantic relationships, but there was nobody talking about how to become securely attached. If we don't like our attachment style rules, if they're dysfunctional, if they're not healthy, there was really limited information about how to recondition them. So that's the body of work that we built and developed called integrated attachment theory, which is how to change your attachment style by leveraging the subconscious mind. So there's four attachment styles. The first one is the secure attachment style. Statistically, about 50% of people were secure 20 years ago. It's now showing that it's a bit closer to about 30% over the last 20 years. So it's waning. Um, securely attached people get really healthy modeling in childhood. They basically get um, a lot of approach-oriented behaviors. So if a child is very young and they cry, the caregiver com comes towards them, tries to understand their needs, tries to connect with them, see what's going on. Um, and as a result of this, children grow up in households and environments where they think, if I express emotion, it's well-received. If I have needs, I can rely on other people to try to meet them. I feel safe trusting other people. And I'm worthy of love just as I am. Not for what I do, but just because I exist. So securely attached people grow up and they have that modeling. They believe that that's what relationships should look like. They can offer it up to others and they can receive it for themselves. Most people are not securely attached nowadays. In fact, a lot of people don't have that kind of upbringing in childhood as you would imagine. <laughs> I didn't, I know most people didn't. Um, so the other three are at one end of the continuum. We have the anxious attachment style. So the anxious person, they have really loving parents in childhood, but the parents are usually you know, not quite available because of things like they work a lot. So essentially what you'll see as an example is there's this inconsistency when the parents are there, they're very loving, but maybe the kids are left with the grandparents a lot because both parents have to work like quite frequently. So because our subconscious is programmed through repetition plus emotion, we get this experience of like, love is here, now love is gone. Love is here, love is taken away. And that is so repetitive and it conditions a child at a subconscious level through repetition and emotion to think, okay, I'm just going to be abandoned. That love's going to be taken away. So as an adult, this anxious person who's anxiously attached literally has a huge fear of abandonment, afraid of being alone, rejected, not good enough. And they become huge people pleasers. And often what happens is they hold on so tight to people in their lives that it's like sand slipping through people's fingers. I mean, the anxious preoccupied, although they want love so much, they often have a really hard time um, getting people to settle down because they usually hold on too tight and it can scare people off. So that's one end of the continuum. I'm sure everybody knows somebody in their lives who's anxiously attached or maybe has experienced that. Basically, the other end is the dismissive avoidant. This child grows up in a household where they basically have a consistent degree of emotional neglect. 
So sometimes it's really overt, like food's not on the table. It's like massive neglect in all areas. But the vast majority of the time for people, it's covert neglect. It's like parents are there. They're driven to school in the morning. Food's on the table. But there's this experience of like the child can't get their emotional needs met. The caregivers are not present. They're not attuned. They're not connected. If the child expresses emotion, the parents are like, there's no room for that. You know, don't be a baby, grow up, figure it out. And so a child grows up learning that my emotions, this whole part of me is defective and wrong. And it feels terrible to rely on other people for my emotional needs because they never get met. So I'm just going to cut off this part of myself. I'm just going to repress it. And this person as an adult gets into relationships with other people and guess what happens? They are terrified as soon as things get real, as soon as there's a connection or a potential for a commitment, these childhood wounds are triggered and they usually cut and run. They're afraid of commitment, have a hard time settling down. That's a dismissive avoidant. There's only one left. And this one is the fearful avoidant attachment style. This is what I was. I'm sure many people can relate to this too. Usually the fearful avoidant grows up in a household where there's like a lot of chaos. So it can be that there's a really intense divorce, parents fighting all the time, really unhealthy parents. Um, A really easy example is if, for example, somebody has a parent who's an alcoholic and let's pretend it's mom. You know, one day mom comes home, she's drinking, she's in a good mood, she's really loving. Another day mom comes home, she's drank too much, she's really angry and she's scary. Another day, mom's sobering up. She's in a good mood because she feels guilty and she's being kind. Another day, mom's sobering up and she's going through withdrawal. She's in a terrible place. And it's like you never know what you're going to get. The only constant is chaos and and the only constant is unpredictability. And so basically this child as an adult learns to be extremely hypervigilant, read between the lines about everything also learns to not really trust. It's very difficult for a fearful avoidant to trust. And they have conflicting ideas about love and relationships. They've had really good moments and they've had really painful moments. So they have this dynamic where they actually share both sides of the anxious, where they fear abandonment and they want connection. But also when somebody gets too close, they also fear being trapped or you know relying on somebody and then getting hurt by it because they can't trust. So this attachment style is constantly like, come get close to me, come get close to me. You get close and they're like, get back, right? So they're very hot and cold and they're almost like a pendulum constantly swinging in relationships. So basically, if your your attachment style is your subconscious set of rules about love and connection, if you're one of those four attachment styles and you're dating somebody or you have a friend or a family member who has a different attachment style, it literally is like sitting down to play a board game and I have the rules for Scrabble and you have the rules for Monopoly. Like it's just going to be chaos and misunderstanding. So when we understand our attachment style and the ones of our loved ones, it makes it so much easier. And also we can change the things that aren't working for us. Unbelievable. So good. Like so good. That was incredible. Like so good. I'd have to read your book. Um, so when you when you're going through the subconscious mind programming, you talk a little bit about how you're reprogramming, um, like whether it's co- cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm an addict. I a lot of people avoid meetings. I put them straight into cognitive behavioral therapy to start. You know, we rewiring the self talk, different repetitions, because you know we all come from some kind of trauma and abuse. We all do. No one has the one that has the perfect upbringing, you know what I mean? So can you talk a little bit about that? Because what, how you framed everything so beautifully, it was, it was incredible. Thank you. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of different ways we can recondition the subconscious mind. I love CBT. It's definitely a big part of what we do. I try to leverage CBT tactics and, and make them more subconscious because like I'll, I'll sort of give a breakdown. So let's say for example, that 
um, somebody has a core wound because of their attachment style. So an anxious attachment style has core wounds like I will be abandoned, I will be alone, I'll be excluded, disliked, rejected. Dismissive avoidance have core wounds like I am defective, something's wrong with me, like my emotions. I'm weak if I show my emotions. I'm unsafe to open up. I'll be trapped, helpless, and powerless. Fearful avoidance basically have both, along with a big betrayal or, or distrusting core wound. So if, if you can sort of recognize your core wound, you know, if we think of this idea of like repetition and emotion, I think we have to make a couple, um, there's like some caveats here that are really powerful to recognize. Number one, the subconscious mind doesn't speak language. So when we think of things like CBT, there can be limitations to it in various degrees. So, so let's say that I decide, okay, my core wound is I'm not good enough. Let's pretend. Okay. So let's say I'm like, okay, I want to feel I am good enough. I can't just start doing affirmations and go, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I'm good enough because my conscious mind speaks language, but my subconscious speaks emotion and imagery. And the, the clearest example of this is if I say to you, Mike, whatever you do, do not think of the pink elephant. Like you can't help it. <laughs> your conscious mind hears do not. Your subconscious doesn't hear do not. Your subconscious sees pink elephant. So when we're trying to reprogram, we need to leverage repetition, but we need to speak in the language of our subconscious. So the three ingredients for reconditioning become repetition, emotion, and imagery. And what's really interesting about this is where we find emotion and imagery is in our memories. So if I were to say, hey, tell me your favorite childhood memory and close your eyes, you'd see that you to speak about it and you close your eyes and you smile or tell me your least favorite childhood memory. You'd probably close your eyes and you would, you know, your body language would change. You'd tighten up. So what we do is there's a tool, there's many different ones, but my favorite and the, the easiest one to start is called auto suggestion. It's like belief reprogramming of these big core wounds. And so we go, okay, if it's, I'm not good enough, I need 10 pieces of evidence. So we get the repetition of how you are good enough and you need to pick real life daily things because those things exist in your memory. So when you say, well, today I did this thing at work, you have the images in your mind if you watch it in slow motion and you have the, the emotion that's contained in that memory. And so all we do when we wanna reprogram these big core wounds that are a big part of what make up our attachment style is we pick a core wound. If it's I'm abandoned, I am connected, like we oppose it. And then we pick 10 pieces of evidence or memory um, to rifle through on a daily basis for about 21 days. And neuroscience evidence suggests that within that 21 day period, we can really reprogram these paradigms. So we're sort of like leveraging CBD principles, CBT principles, but getting them into the subconscious mind where it speaks that language. And there's lots of other places that we can dig into for reconditioning. I mean, we have to learn to meet our own needs and communicate our needs, have healthier relationships to boundaries, but auto-suggestion and reconditioning those core wounds is such a powerful place for people to start. This is like sitting in a symposium. Um, I, I always love what you do because you bring just so much clarity to incredibly complicated ideas. And when I had the pleasure of interviewing you years ago, my first thought was like, man, there, there's so much more here to go into. And I love that you've written another book. Particularly, I, I love, no pun intended, that you titled it Learning Love because I believe fully that the process of understanding love is a learning process, very much supported by what you just said. So I'm going to ask you a loaded question because I think it's actually very important. Do you think that anyone can learn love? Yes. I mean, I love that question. And I, I, I want to just say something for you is I know your story and I think your story is so beautiful and so inspiring. And I was so touched after we spoke years ago. And, you know, as, as somebody who can relate to you as growing up in a very chaotic household, 
I also had to sort of relearn a lot of what it meant to love in a healthy way, because as a fearful avoidant, I was like hot and cold, push and pull, you know, want closeness, push it away. And, and so this really actually started with my own journey to learning love and learning what it meant to meet my own needs, develop healthy boundaries, recondition these old core wounds. And that opened up so much for me to learn really healthy, loving relationships. And it's interesting because part of also healing our attachment style is not just reconditioning those core wounds, but it has a lot to do with our needs. And, you know, one thing I found on my journey that was really beautiful and then shared in my client practice for 10 years after was um, that when we are terrified of expressing our needs and sharing them, because we don't want to be vulnerable, we don't want to be weak, we don't want to, you know, rely on anybody. When we actually open up and we do share, we also give ourselves an opportunity to receive love, you know, because I was so pleasantly surprised by how much people showed up for me in my life when I actually just told them what I needed, like, hey, I need some support. I'm having a, a scary week or I'm going through something difficult and just being vulnerable and actually expressing what I needed after learning what it was that I needed um, brought so much love and support into my life in ways I couldn't have imagined because as a child, I got conditioned to think, don't express your needs, don't share. And that, that frightened me. So, you know, we can really relearn what it means to love if we didn't have love modeled in the healthiest ways at times. And part of the root of it becomes loving yourself and like that relationship to self. And when we can do get that part right and get that part clear, we can bring that into our external relationships. And that's actually a huge part of how we become securely attached and build those secure connections. I think there's no greater thing to learn than learning how to love. And you obviously have a conscious subconscious and we'll probably next time when you have me back, talk about how the quantum memory and the unconscious predetermined energetic genetic inheritance that we have uh, can impact that subconscious uh, transformation that you help so many people with the personal development school that you have, as well as your new upcoming book, The Day Before My Brother's Birthday, December 12th, Learning to Love, Build the Best Relationship in Your Life Using the Integrated Attachment Theory. Don't be afraid to buy the Attachment Theory book as well. Greater guide to strengthening uh, the relationship in your life uh, with yourself and others. Uh, don't have enough time for everything that you could teach us. So we're going to have you back. Tyrese Gibson, thank you so much for joining us. Buy the book, pre-order it, and uh, there's a lot to learn, especially about love. We'll see you soon, Tyrese. Happy Thank Thanksgiving you so much here in America. Me. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Ryan is back. He has paid his internet bill and his connection is working. We're glad to see that. CEO, he's busy curing cancer, so let's leave him alone. Uh, some of us do important things around the world, right, Michael Unbroken? <laughs> he's, he's, also, he's in Buenos Aires, so we're giving him a hard time. Cancervax.com. Welcome uh, to Office Hours. Oh, and of course the audio doesn't work. <laughs> I'm so sorry, my friend. We can't hear you. I want to talk about disease and the immune system. Darn it. Luca, you, you want to just, uh, since yeah. it's, uh, yeah, hey, Luca, you want to just reschedule Ryan um, so we don't, because it's closer to Thanksgiving and I don't, we, we I want to have a full, I want to have full time with him. So, yeah, his, uh, yeah, cancer hope, hope is no, huge. That's not one we throw away. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I don't want to hurry. And, and you guys, I mean, I got a guy that's living around the world waiting for the steak on a stick. And Mike has a family <laughs> and so do I. 
Uh, I want to give a big shout out to Miles, by the way. Miles, you like that? Green, green, more steak, more steak. Uh, anyway, this is Thanksgiving. Uh, that's right. <laughs> Thanksgiving, baby. <laughs> Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> anyways, uh, before we get to the takeaway for the day, I just got to give a big shout out to my main man, Miles. Uh, I very rarely do play 18 holes of golf with him, but he has told me again and again, Dad, just play 18, and I promise I won't get so upset when I have a bad hole, but I don't have enough holes where I feel like I can get my my rhythm and, and, and recover from a bad hole. I said, all right, fine. So he shoots a 39 on the back nine, and now all he wants to do is play 18 holes. So we'll see see where that goes in my father-son relationship. Anyways, takeaways for the day before Thanksgiving. I am most thankful for Gigi and Raluca for producing the show. Thankful for my double mics around the world. Uh, this show would not be at 556 episodes without Mike, especially Diamond, who uh, encouraged me to do this show pre-COVID. Uh, and then we turned into four shows, three shows, four guests, three guests. It's been all over the place. But like they say in those cartoons, I'm still standing or my boys. Uh, anyway, what's our takeaway for the day, gentlemen? I'm going to say being vulnerable because you were so vulnerable with us. It was so amazing. I like that. Right? And you opened up and you were like, I, I need to, I'm working through some stuff. And if we're vulnerable and we realize we've all got stuff to learn, we keep learning and growing. And I think that's such a beautiful thing, what you did. And then it allows you to see oh, wow, I really have got this together, but it keeps you humble. So be vulnerable and be around the right group. Like we're the right group to share with and it helps you grow. And it's amazing. Love that. Um, first, just gratitude. I love getting to be a part of this with you guys. Um, and massive gratitude to all the people who watch this every week and all the comments and all the DMs and us getting to support them um, through our own education by asking these questions every week, which I, I love getting to do. Um, and my biggest takeaway, just to, to what Thais said, a huge part of love is learning that it's possible for you no matter what you come from, no matter your experience, no matter the pain you've been through. And, you know, you're sitting here with three previously incredibly wounded guys who have allowed love to be a huge part of their journey. And it's like, if we, who at points in time, I contextually have not been of the best caliber of men can be sitting here living in in love a part of that heart set then it's like everyone can do it because lord knows between the three of us we probably have about a hundred felonies so <laughs> that said that's my that's my gratitude and that's my takeaway i love it and you know and my my takeaway is how important people are and if we had ryan on as well everyone's dealing with people and whether it's the people most relative to us or not relative to us, there's in a relationship and an attachment that we have people. And sometimes we attach uh, too much to those not relative and too little to those that are relative. And you see that in the merger and acquisition and data analytics, like the cultures that are created, it comes down to the differing, you know, the people in our lives and how much energy we're going to give the people most relative to us that feed us. And those that may bleed us, they may deserve or allow to bleed because of the relativity. And 
Uh, I'm so good that all the people here, Gigi and Raluca, Mike, Mike, Ethan, and others, you're so relative to my happiness and my gratitude. I walk every day in a blessing. And it doesn't mean that I don't get kicked in the face eight times a day, just the same way that I used to get kicked eight times in the face when Mike Unbroken was committing all those felonies. Uh, and <laughs> But it's minutes and moments because of the people in our lives. And uh, I just love you guys. And I've, I've learned to love you guys. And everyone on here, you know, it's amazing. It's right before Thanksgiving and so much engagement in the show and all these different platforms. Uh, and I just, we're, we're making a difference. I, I promise you, I travel the world. We're making a difference. And thank you all for showing up for the last 41 minutes just to pour in when other people aren't willing to show up. You guys are willing to show up from around the world. God bless both of you. Bless everybody here. May you be grateful. May you have the perspective of gratitude. May you find the light, the love, and the lessons in everything you do and everyone you encounter. May you pray for at least 10 people to help every day. And may you pray for at least 10 people to help you. Bless you all on this Thanksgiving Eve. We will see you tomorrow. God bless everyone. Take care. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Love you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Love you guys. All right, we'll catch you tomorrow. Just email me, David at We got Thanksgiving Thursday. That's the gratitude challenge times 10. Everyone should be grateful. Remember, during the holidays, be more interested and interesting. Be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. Be grateful, forgiving, accountable, and inspired in everything you do. I promise you, you'll live in abundance. You'll make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. God bless everyone. Have a great evening. Take care.